are you like me? Do you struggle to get the crystal light completely, you know, swirled around in your drink? Because I, I do. I, it's always a, it's always a struggle. Shake it more. Did okay. that work? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, we're recording. Thank God. Okay, hello and welcome to episode seventy-nine. I'm your host, Austin Proctor, and joining me across the table is Gabrielle Proctor. Hello. I'm the other host. You're the other host. The hostess with the mostest. Probably. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, we are talking about some David Cronenberg movies today, and boy, did it get weird real fast. Uh, haven't seen either one of these. Well, you had seen one of them. I picked one that I hadn't seen. You picked one that you'd seen one time, but it's I haven't seen it either. Um well, um, yeah, I told you I was watching one of these because I was trying to watch the other one. I just got that mixed up, and I was like, I don't think this is the right movie. Well, all right, then. So we finally watched both of them. Uh, well, how long ago was did you watch the that one? Oh, Jesus, like 10 years ago. Oh, so yeah. I really just wanted to see one scene from one of these movies. And then it uh, turned out I was watching the wrong movie, and I was super confused. Oh, well, glad we can fix the confusion. And the right director. Oh, yeah. And that was it. Yeah, so if you know anything about Cronenberg, he's known for doing very, like, you know, for the 80s, it was definitely, like, I'd call it, like, hyper-realistic gore for the 80s. Uh, because, you know, you can obviously tell when you watch it now, you know, 30-something years later, it still looks good because it's a good practical effect, but you can kind of see, you know how it's done if you can kind of see a look behind the curtain because it's been so long but i mean great stuff uh he's most known for directing the fly at least that's what's on his top four his first uh out of four on imdb and uh, that's probably his most popular movie so we tried to go a little deeper with the picks that we did or the picks that are the movies that we picked because like i said we're trying to go a little deeper cut here um, so if you know Cronenberg, odds are you're going to know exactly what these movies are. But if you have no idea who Cronenberg is, well, you're in for a treat. Um, so I'm going to give you some facts about him real quick because we are, this is a, you know, two movies by him. So David Cronenberg is born in Canada on March 15th, 1943. And there's a lot of interesting stuff about him because apparently he turned down a lot of movies. Which is probably good that he did because they're not anything kind of like his style at all. Uh, so the movies that he turned down, according to trivia on IMDb, was Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, uh, Robo. That would have been weird. That would have been a wild, wildly different movie. Uh, RoboCop, nineteen eighty-seven. I could see that. That Working. would have been cool. Yeah, that would have. I mean, like I love the movie as is, but that would have still worked for him. That would have been cool. I would have liked to see that. Uh, turned down Top Gun. Let's see what else he was. He was supposed to direct Total Recall and even wrote a few drafts of the script, but eventually uh, the director Paul Verhoeven took over. And I think there was one more that he said he was supposed to do. No, okay, that's it. According to uh, IMDb, so that's pretty wild. Those are some pretty huge movies that would have been completely different if Cronenberg uh, had done them. Let's see here. Uh, some other fun facts about Mr. Cronenberg. I think that was pretty much all of them because I was, I was pretty. I, it's just weird that they'd be like, "Hey, you." Oh wait, no. I guess uh, was uh, was Return of the Jedi. Was that after like the Fly and shit? Because the Fly was like eighty six, I think. Because it'd be really weird to go to a guy that did the Fly and be like, "Hey, you know the movie you did? Let's do something completely different about Star Wars." I don't think that would have worked. 
I mean, I've seen them do that before. Like, yeah, the flight why was would you have M. Night Shyamalan direct the uh, the Last Airbender? Those are two. He's a totally different director for that type of film. I guess that's he. Is that why that one sucks so bad? I mean, that's <laughs> the start on that list. Okay, so uh, episode six, Return of the Jedi, was eighty three, which is the same year as the first movie we we're going to talk about. But Scanners had already been out by that time, so it's like, yeah. You know that movie you did about exploding heads? Uh, you, you want to direct to Star Wars? Oh, my God. I would have loved to see like an R-rated Cronenberg cut of Star Wars Episode Six. That would have been rough. We need that. I don't think all the characters would have made it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Cronenberg is known for doing, like I said, very... Um, I mean, how would you explain these movies we watched? I mean, good God. I mean, just give me, give me like a one-sentence explanation. They're very surreal. Like visceral. Yeah. And uh, like I said, lots of blood for the most part. Lots of killing. Lots of trippy shit going on. Uh, A lot of psychological stuff. Um, Yeah, it's like a bad acid trip. But like fun to watch, though. No, no, no. I mean, like, (laughs) this is the shit you wouldn't want to see on acid. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. No. No, the fly? Oh, fuck no. I'm going to pass on that. Um, yeah, but he's actually pretty well established in Canada, apparently, too, because he was inducted to Canada's Walk of Fame in 1999. I assume that's like our Hollywood stars. Avenue of Stars or whatever. That's not how you call it. The what is it? The Avenue of Stars, right? Hollywood Boulevard Stars? Stars of Boulevards? Yeah, that's how What is it? Go with that. Okay. I walk a lonely road. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to talk about this stuff because it, it was wild and it was like I said, I had the only thing I think I've seen by him is uh, the fly. I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, I'm pretty sure the fly in this one, this first movie. Well, so. th- yeah, exactly. So, um, very excited. Is there anything uh, you want to you want to mention there, lady, up, top, uh, up top? Not about the director. No, I'm talking about just like up top. I mean, we have been continuing to watch the stand. Huh. Still awesome. Yeah, I will say um, neither of us really liked uh, this rendition of. Uh, trash which was kind of upsetting because i really enjoy trash as a character he's um very interesting and i definitely prefer the um og version of him that i I like that actor's depiction better because this one was a lot more manic um they just kind of went really hard into a very different character and it doesn't feel like trash. It feels like some random dude they inserted in place of trash. Yeah, he was a little too wacky and crazy for me because I know in the book and in the miniseries, he was, you know, he's a weird dude. They gave him an aggressive, like, learning disability situation. Like, they made him extremely, like, incapable of communicating, which was not how his character was. Like, He's kind of yelling a lot. Yelling, like a lot of spitting. Like he clearly had some developmental issues, and that's not that character. So while I could understand portraying it for a character, like portraying a character accurately in that instance, it seems really weird to take a character who had some mental health issues and then take him to um, developmental. Um, issues now that's really that's a different road and it was really bizarre to see them do that and um yeah i i appreciate trash too much as a character for them to have done that to him 
But other than that, I still like the show. I still like Tom though. He's great. Tom Cullen. He's I, I didn't like him at first. I kind of I kind of was annoyed by him because um, he kept saying the same thing over and over. But as uh, the more I've, I've, like the show's gone on, the more I, I've come to like the actor who's playing Tom Cullen because yeah. it's obviously more age appropriate in this rendition. And uh, yeah, he, he you know if you know the you know the stand, he plays a pretty vital role and. Uh, going to new vegas and all that stuff and you get to see more of uh, randall flag and he um is in fact terrifying because they've really been slowly amping up the amount of time you see him and um this last episode you're like ah oh, shit i really like that one Danger part zone. too when the one of the spies goes to vegas or new vegas and you see randall flag on screen talking and it cuts to her looking at the screen and then it like kind of like some static comes in and then Randall Flag just looks directly at the spy and you can still hear Randall Flag talking like oh what's happening like the way they're doing it is just really cool and I'm on board with all of it because it's just so well done so yep. screw all the hate I love uh, it should we also mention that we saw um promising young woman I mean we can I mean it's not really horror I mean it's like real life horror yeah um I guess we can just briefly say that it was absolutely worth seeing uh yeah, I've been waiting on that one for over a year at this point, so that was well worth the wait. It was very well done. It is clearly in the tone of a woman, and um, the whole nice guy thing that they, the idea of the nice guy that they just plow right through and obliterate um, was pretty clever, especially since um, they cast so many actors known for being like the good guy or the... Um, the main love interest that's actually dependable uh, in so many of their previous film roles. So to see them play the nice guy who's really just shitty, um, pretending to be a nice guy was really smart because you're like, oh, I can't imagine him doing this. And you're like, oh, you crafty bitch. You got me. What was her name? Who? The main actress. Sorry. Uh, Carrie Mulligan. Mulligan. She was great. Bo Burnham, surprisingly great. I mean, he was more kind of like a goofy character, which is pretty much who he is in real life. So he played to it well. But I did not expect that from him. I don't really, haven't really seen him act much in things. I know he directed Eighth Grade, which was a great movie. Uh, but yeah, I was very surprised at his performance in that because I thought he did like top notch. So yeah, they were very smart you, with Burnham. how they they filmed it because it's so easy to take, um, you know, make bad characters look like select actors who have that kind of appearance. And That's they, true. they, um, and this was, um, the director's debut. Yeah. And she literally thought about every aspect of how it would be presented. And I was like, man, I want to see more shit from her. Cause she knows what she's doing. And this was an instance where the trailer was complimented the movie very well because they throw a scene that is like from the end of the movie. Um, with the dog sniffing around. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, I totally... Because, you know, usually when you watch the movie, you're kind of picking out where the trailer was. So I think they did a very good job at not giving too much away, conveying the tone of the movie, and then also, you know, because I had no idea what the sniffing dogs were, and then you find out, and you're like, oh no. Well, so and good I, job on the trailer, too. And they really let you feel... They let you um, go for the ride along with... Um, the main actress and you just don't know what's going to happen. And I think that's what makes it so interesting is they, they did a really good job just letting you go with her and let her show you what she wants you to see. Yeah. Cause you pretty much get 
reveal like a lot of the stuff you get revealed like the, a lot of stuff that gets revealed to Carrie Mulligan in the movie is you're pretty much like right behind her experiencing it with her except for you know at the end yeah because she's already you know she's anyways uh so I like that I like that you're along for the ride and like you're in her boots like not knowing what's happening and then you find out a couple there's like a couple twists in that movie too there's like a couple it was clever as it hell. was clever so yeah. props to that I think I gave it a four and a half well deserving of that definitely worth seeing plus it spoke to the whole you know women who go through that and i think it gives the whole idea that oh i'm being good be like right. be i'm a nice guy so i deserve to do this and maybe if you didn't put yourself in this position like no my review includes uh it was a clue like a sentence like that was i can't believe men can actually act like that and think it's 100 percent okay like the fuck do you get off thinking that that's okay to act that way dude and i've actually had to deter people like that before not me personally but i actually had to get a drunk friend home one time while two drunk men tried to follow us down the street while I'm trying to hail a cab to try to get my friend to go back with him. I'm like, you need to piss off. <laughs> go away. She's clearly not interested. Like, I, I've had to deter those people from friends before. I have not personally experienced that because good luck communicating with me if I'm drunk. I'm not paying attention to you. Wow. Yeah, typically I don't have that problem if I'm out. Or like we know with the female friend, whenever I do that, like... Because I'm a six foot tall guy, so it's not like some guy's gonna try to come over and hit on a girl I might know that's a friend. Because it's like I'm I'm huge; they're not gonna mess with me. And then the only time that's ever actually happened was a stranger at a show that I went to. Some guy was trying to like come up and dance behind her, and like grind on her, and she clearly wasn't having it. And he would not stop. And I tapped him on the shoulder. And I was like, "Dude, she's not interested." Like step the fuck off and he like gave me these evil eyes and I was like if we're throwing down just fucking do it like let's go but she's not interested back up over there and then I kind of just like watched her and she she came like thank you so much like yeah guy is a dick like fuck off go away See, not interested you are an actual decent human being not the oh I'm I a can be. <laughs> you don't you don't go oh I'm a nice guy and do something shitty you're like no it's what's moral, you know the, what I mean? Like, the important thing here is whether or not she gave consent and whether or not she's in a state of mind to do that. And for some reason, that is a hard topic for some people to grasp. Uh, yeah, but any, like, anytime I will, if I ever see that again in the future, it's the same thing. Like, if I can clearly see a woman's not interested in a man, I will go up there and be like, yo, boop, like, or, back away. Yeah, or Get clearly away. see that she is not in a state of mind to even make that decision yeah. for herself. Back she off, shouldn't dude. have to worry about some dude preying on that. I will literally fight you over some girl I don't even fucking know to protect her, possibly. Okay? I will I'll fight you away from me. And that's why I married you. I <laughs> that, mean, not that. That, that specific reason. That that's specific it. reason. <laughs> Jesus. All, All right. right. Let's get on to these movies here. Um, you're going to do the first one here, so... Um, I've got all my notes right here. I know it gets pretty thick right here with all the people involved in this, but we're just going to go from here and we're going to go, because this is your first time with a new format. So we're going to go from the top and then we're going to go right down till here. And then that's where we're going to start the review. Okay. Uh, so wait, so you want me to read all the way down to there or just skip down to there? You're literally reading all of this all the way down to the body count. Okay. I'm going to read um, past some of your typos there. Uh, They're not typos. It's just, you know, no. word is like, uh, you know, well, I don't know. what. That's not her name. It's Bianca. Yeah, you type Beyonce. Beyonce! Um, <laughs> it's also just this right here. That's that's the entire name. Fucking whatever. Just do your job. <laughs> I was reading it. I'm like, what? Do your job. I had to look it up. You confused me. Do your job. Okay. So this movie I watched about 10 years ago. Um, and recently, too. 
And recently, too, this is Videodrome. It's rated R. It's got a runtime of an hour and 27 minutes, um, which I got to say for Cronenberg films, you don't really know when they're going to end. The plots are so bizarre that you're just like, am I near the end or I, I don't is this know. the beginning like, is, is, is this the climax or is there like more happening especially with this one I had no idea what the fuck was going on so I didn't g- realize the ending was happening and I was like oh I guess this it's over we're okay gonna, we're gonna do our best because this one got real fucking weird real quick so yeah I'm gonna do a try hard uh sorry in advance if the plot scatters a little <laughs> so mean, the plot is scattered so facts which is why we didn't know when it ended. Uh, it is a horror sci-fi thriller released on the 4th of February, 1983. Um, shockingly, it was directed by David Cronenberg. <laughs> he also did The Fly. Just in case you didn't know, throwing that shit in there. So this one, um, I actually didn't think this was James Wood. I thought it was the guy from RoboCop. Ooh, I just got candy. Th- <laughs> Ooh, candy. I just got them mixed up, but it's... Uh, James Woods of James Woods High. Um, he plays Max Wren. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. Stupid. You're dumb. Um, vampires as Jack Crow. Those are, I literally told you this today. I said, I'm listing the name of the actor, who they were in the movie, and then what you else. You should italicize and then, and and then stuff. What that would else, make it easier Then what else they were in and their character okay. in that movie okay. because you got so mad at me last time. Ah, I did I've this never for heard you. of that one, so don't include movies I don't know. It's their top um, so, four, bro. Sh- I am reading. It's fucking 370. I put my glasses billion. on for this. I'll take them off and guess what the words are. Uh, the all right. He was also her um he was also Hades in Hercules. And um he was in Family Guy if we hadn't alluded to that. I already. had to put that in there because that's where I know James Woods from. I'm sorry, America. I'm sorry, podcast. That's where I know James Wood from. Well, and I know we frequently um, say, ooh, piece of candy. So. Ooh, piece of candy. That's just worked its way into our uh, common things to say to each other. It's funny. That's worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then you got uh, Sonia Smits as Bianca Oblivion. She's mostly a TV actress. Uh, this is her main top role i mean she had a couple but if i don't if i don't recognize them and they're not on their top four i'm just like okay you do tv stuff whatever. Uh, she's also um doing a three episode she <laughs> was in three episodes of american gods as one of the characters moms is she yes i googled it oh uh, mostly after you i saw beyonce and thought that didn't look right Bianca. Um, then next up the one person that everybody should recognize, Debbie Harry, as Nikki Brand. She is most uh, notably the lead singer of Blondie. And she dyed her hair red for this movie specifically. Yeah. That's why I didn't recognize her, probably. She's a badass. <laughs> um, and then you got Peter Dorfsky as Harlan. He was in The Dead Zone 1983 as Dardis. Oh, yeah. And Casual Sex? Casual as Sex? Question Matthew. Mark? I guess there is actually a question mark. Okay, cool. Uh, just um, uh, had, also, Cronenberg did direct uh, the Dead Zone in case uh, you were unaware. Well, the, on the podcast, not you. Oh, not, okay. not you. People on the podcast. You, you listeners. You listeners. You <laughs> and Leslie Carlson as Barry Convex, also in the Dead Zone as Brenner and the Fly as Doctor Cheevers. Shavir's. Shavir's. Probably. I don't know. Cheevers. Cheevers. 
had a budget of five point nine million and only grossed two point one million, which is probably why not as many people have heard of this one as they have the fly. But also, realistically, you had Jeff Goldblum and oh, 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 ah. Stuart Little, uh, among other things. Really? That's, Stuart yeah. Little? That's the first thing. Gina I, Davis. That's the first thing I saw her uh, in as a kid. I like that we both looked at each other and went, oh my God, her name. <laughs> like, oh my God, I know this lady. No, Gina Davis and uh, Jeff Goldblum together. And they. Which is an awesome pair. Just going to say. I mean, they were also together in Earth Girls Are Easy. They're one of those combos that just work. <sighs> that movie was so bad, but it's. I, it's but so I, good. I, it's so good. Um, movies that came out around the same time The House on Sorority Row, The Entity. Without a Trace, and The Lords of Discipline. Apparently out of the titles. So, yeah. Um, I think stuff from the 80s, like, you know, I'm not going to know too much unless they're blockbusters, but these were ones that made, you know, decent money around the time. I've heard of The House and the Sorority Row and The Entity, but Without a Trace, I thought it was a TV show. Guess it was a movie. I don't know. Fucking. So, yep. Yep. And then here we go. And then six people died on screen. Yes. That's not that many people compared it's to really some not. other films. Oh God! As compared to the other one, we're going to talk about. Good God! Yeah. All right, so break it down. Let's let's try to get into this as go- as good as we can. All right. Do good. Think brain. Talk well. First, <laughs> where do we even start with this? I'm going to go with the overview because if I try to cut it scene by scene, we're going to lose track. Yeah, I've got some so notes here. So you start with the overview. Overview is that James Woods as Max Wren is the head of a studio whose name I can't think of. Civic TV? Yes. Civic. Civic TV. Wow. Uh, Civic TV. And Civic TV is is a small broadcasting station that's known for doing softcore porn, violence. He he talks about his... um, TV station as being an outlet for people. Sorry, I couldn't think of the word outlet. Um, <laughs> an outlet for people while he's on a talk show about it being an outlet for people with like um, violent tendencies and uh, weird sexual fantasies. And he's like, here's a place where they can watch it safely. And um, so he's always looking for the newest, the uh, most scintillating thing that he can find. And one of his guys who is constantly trying to hack into other feeds to try to get more stations. Harlan. Harlan. Thank you. Comes across a station, a TV station that is broadcasting a woman getting assaulted in a red room um, with clay walls and she's naked and getting whipped. And it's this really weird show and he doesn't know what it is, but he wants to find out more about it. So while they're figuring that out, he goes on this talk show with two other um, TV, well, personalities. One's a radio personality. One's another TV, quote unquote, personality. Well, he's literally on TV. I was going to say it. Okay. Holy shit. I'm sorry. And that is where he meets Blondie, Debbie Harry's character. And they start to flirt. While talking about violence on TV and people's need for uh, stimulation and also on the show with them is Dr. Oblivion, who is a man who will not appear on television outside of being, in fact, on a television because they actually put a TV 
on the stage with them where they're talking on the talk show and he communicates through there. So it cut, it cuts forward to where Max and what is Debbie Harry's character's name? You just read them. I know, but you'd expect Nikki me to Brand. remember. Nikki. Max and Nikki are having a date where she sees the Videodrome and she asks what it is and he explains the tape of the broadcast that he had picked up earlier with the girl in the red room and how he says it's some wild show but he can't figure out where it's coming from and so she wants to watch it and he tries to deter her but it turns out she's into pain for pleasure so they start a sexual relationship and before too long she decides she after they figure out that it is the show is some filmed somewhere in Pennsylvania she decides she's going to try out for the show he tries to stop her he says there's something weird about this show nobody really knows where it's coming from no one can really figure out who's running the show he thinks it's suspicious and she says no i'm made for this show so she goes off to do that and this is where shit starts to get real weird. The more he investigates, the less he can figure out, but he keeps watching it. And then he starts to hallucinate and have dreams about the room and have dreams about being in the room with Nikki. And odd things start happening. He starts talking to her through her, um, his uh, TV set. She just shows up on his screen and then it's almost as if his TV starts breathing. Oh, yeah, the TV kind of starts warping on top and, like, yep. stretchy and... Yeah. Yeah, so she starts to lure him in, and but he hasn't seen her. She doesn't. She's not come back, so he doesn't know where she is. He assumes she's on the show. And the more he starts researching, the visions start getting stronger, so he goes to talk to Dr. Oblivion, who hosts an outreach center for homeless people to watch television to help better integrate them back into society. And if that <laughs> makes any sense to anybody, let me know. Um, but he bumps into Oblivion's daughter, who is being very elusive and really dodging some of his questions. So she gives him a tape um, from her father. And he comes to find out that Dr. Oblivion has been dead for, I think it was six months. Yeah, I don't know how long, but he, he did. That's why yeah. he'd appear on TV, on TV. Yes, um, <laughs> somehow he had also become a part of Videodrome, and now he is entirely alive in videos. So he's no longer living, but he's still communicating to people through videos. And during one of these hallucinations, where for some bizarre reason, Max is holding a gun in his hand because he thinks he's in danger, but he's just kind of standing, like uh, scratching at his stomach with a gun. Oh, yeah. A opening splits across, or splits down his stomach and he sticks the gun inside and then totally loses that shit in there. And then he stops hallucinating and he can't figure out how the hell that happened. I mean, you're on a roll. I'm following the synopsis on IMDb and like every paragraph you're hitting is like, on point are you gonna keep going because like it's you're doing so good i'm trying my best i'm so proud of you real so, quick though uh, you, remember how you said the the cut in his stomach looked like a vagina because it did funny enough uh it literally says right here that uh ren begins to experience hallucinations in which his torso transforms into a bloody vaginal vcr <laughs> so you yeah. nailed it 
So continuing, they track down a place um, where the people who are making. He finally tracks down the people who are making Videodrome. And goes to confront them. They are also a company that makes glasses and a bunch of other random shit. So the guy says, yes, this is a weird side effect we're having. So we're trying to track it and understand it better. If you could have another hallucination, we can better understand what's going on. And so he does. And he ends up in the red room with Nikki. But she is also a TV, which is very confusing. And he starts whipping her, but then it turns into another woman he had been previously talking to about Videodrome, this older woman who he was trying to use to help him get information. And so when he wakes up from that whole hallucination, he sees her dead body in his bed with him. Flips shit because he's like, oh my God, I killed her. And calls his buddy over, whose name has left my head again. Harlan. Harlan. Calls Harlan to his house to tell him to take a picture of what's in his room. And Harlan's like, you want me to take a picture of your pillows and blankets? Because there's nothing else in there. And what? Uh, no, I just saw that Nikki's image transforms into Masha. Who's Masha's Masha? the old lady. Oh, because he wakes up with Masha dead at his side. That's what I said. Oh, I thought you said Nikki. No, no. the Nick. He was with Nikki and then he turns into the old lady who's Masha. Oh, I'm sorry. I must have missed that. My no, bad. Fine. My bad. My bad. Um. So he, oh God, now I've lost it. You've, I've lost it altogether. I'm sorry. He called Harlan over to take a picture of what happened. Uh-huh. What's the next thing? What? What's the thing after that? That's where I lost my train. Uh, he calls him over, uh, and then Harlan reveals that there never was a broadcast, only pre-recorded tapes, which he never watched. So Harlan hasn't actually seen any of That's Video Drone. That's right. Yeah. So oh, Max works it out that... Harlan is working with the man who created Videodrome to make him some sort of weird hitman. So he keeps pulling the gun out of his stomach and he's told to go kill people, including um, Dr. Oblivion's daughter, because she knows what happened and she knows that they are planning to release this worldwide uh, to brainwash people. And... So when he goes to um, kill her, she somehow manages to talk him out of it and get him to regain control. And then he decides he's going to go back and go after the guys, um, which I think the most disturbing part is when they decide he needs to go after them, they stick a tape in his weird stomach vagina. And um, that's part of what's controlling him. Yeah, that is what's controlling him. Yeah, so then uh, when he goes back to Harlan to tell him, oh, yeah, I killed her. I'm ready to kill somebody else. Um, Harlan tries to stick a tape in his stomach again. This one is way different looking than the first one. It's much more looks like body part thing. It looks like skin and pus and it's gross. Um, Harlan pulls out what I'd call a bloody stump, but it kind of looks like a microphone on a stick um it looks like one of those uh like massager things like for your back it looks oh. like like a massage like it, that's literally what it looked like to yeah, me it's just like a weird like nub on a stick and it doesn't look like a hand and you're like what did he pull back out because uh what 
Oh, and yeah. His hand becomes a ticking, bloody, organic grenade. That's what that is. Oh, so, yeah, that, when, oh yeah. One of those grenades. When that he, makes yeah, sense. So okay. when Harlan pulls his hand from Ren's vagina thing, yeah, it's a ticking, bloody <laughs> grenade. And then tell him what happens to Harlan after he pulls out that ticking grenade, which I didn't even know was ticking. I didn't hear that. I did not hear that either. Um, He kind of explodes. His... He, he gets gooshed. Yeah. and Just um, fucking boom. <laughs> done. So then uh, Max makes his way over to a trade show that the main bad guy is at trying to um, sell his glasses and, you know, in preparation for launching Videodrome. I believe uh, the bad guy's uh, Barry Convex. I'm pretty sure that was the bad guy. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. And he goes to confront him and his hand has turned into a gun hand. It's all kind of. <laughs> Mush flesh. Cronenbergian, if you, if you, you can say. real aggressive. <laughs> and um, he kills him on the stage, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Just, just in front of God and everyone there just shoots the shit out of him. Yes. And yeah. then he books it out of there to um, get away. Are we giving away the end? I mean, it was made in 1983. No. Okay. I mean, I, I don't only because... Yeah, it's just... It's so wild. I mean, we've given away a lot, but not... I mean, not really much spoilers... But yeah, the ending was just so like, like I don't know, it's so raw. And like I was like, oh my god. I just remembered a little side plot that I forgot about. What? Um, that the first people that he is told to go kill is his partners because they want to use his TV station uh, to launch Videodrome. And that's only like mildly important to the plot. <laughs> oh yeah, he does go. Sorry, like I yeah. said, that we... We preface this with it's kind of hard to keep the whole plot in your head because you're just trying to remember the events, but they're very confusing. No, you did a way better. This is why you did had to review this one. You did such a good job. Not even kidding. I went down the entire synopsis as you were talking. It was perfect. I think you skipped over one thing, but I mean, you did a very good job. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. That I'll was try. very good. Yeah, it it was a wild movie. It's very weird. It is definitely not an everybody's cup of tea kind of film. You have oh, to be God, into no. the weird stuff. And um, this one was definitely way more sexual. There was a lot of porn in the first half of this. Well, and that was my whole thing, too, was we started watching it. And in my head, I'm like, okay, if this is going to be like abuse towards women and just kind of grow. Because I'm, I'm not into watching women or really anyone, I mean, specifically women by men being like tortured and shit like that. So I was about ready to turn it off because I don't want to watch, you know, 90 minutes of people being brutally like fucked up. But then it gets to the part where it gets all trippy and they kind of completely put the softcore porn and brutality well, towards women at like in like the background. I was like, okay, I can get on board with this weird trippy shit, but I was not on board for 90 minutes of cruelty towards women. That's funny because when we went to see um, Promising Young Woman, my sister, I was telling her about it. She hadn't heard of it. And she was, I was like, yeah, it's a rape revenge. And she's like, okay, well then let me know how, like if it's safe or not. Cause you know, a lot of rape revenge movies start with the rape. And I was like, no, it was all revenge. It was post rape. And you're like, yeah, yeah. I don't know why there's this need with some directors to put the most like sexually violent stuff in the super, super forefront. But, um, I guess it's to make people uncomfortable and, yeah, good job. I think it's so in this particular un- film. It's you're like at first you're like whoa, and then you see there's a reason for it in the plot. I mean, you didn't necessarily need yeah. as much of it as there was in there, but you can see why it was in there. Yeah, a lot of times when you know they put uh, if it's a rape revenge, 
movie, then that's pretty much the catalyst to kind of put you on the victim's side and understand why they want revenge. But in some cases, like, uh, I'll just go, for example, Halloween 2007, Rob Zombie's remake. They, uh, Rob Zombie cut out my favorite part. I'm sure if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me you've say this before. mentioned a few times. I know. They cut out, like, one of my favorite escape scenes when Michael, you know, gets out of the uh, jail. And they replaced it with a rape scene. And I was like, that is so fucking unnecessary. Like, what? Like, I can, I, I can understand if it's already in the movie, whatever. But when you take out something to put in a rape scene, that's where I'm, I draw the line. Like, stop it forever. So I'm glad that Video Drum kind of did away with that and went way fucking left field. I'm pointing to the right. Way left field because I had a hard time following it. And this one, I don't know about you, stuck with me for like a few days. It's I'm still thinking about it. I mean, yeah. I, we're talking about it now. But I'm, I was I thought about this for three, four days after we watched it. Just like, what the fuck was that movie? Yeah, it's a weird movie. Like I said, really confused when I watched this by mistake. Yeah, and uh, oh, also that we didn't mention. So Videodrome, if you watch it, will eventually, uh, you watch it and it causes tumors inside of you that will eventually eat you from the inside out. And that's my favorite specific horror moment of this movie is when Max Wren goes up on stage to kill uh, Corvin and he shoots him and he falls down and then his body just gets ripped apart by all these fucking tumors. And I was like, oh my God, that was the coolest shit ever. Yeah, that was pretty good. Very one. bloody, very gory. Uh, yeah, so if you like the weird, and if you like the unusual, the strange, the bloody, the confusing, this is a movie for you. Uh, it's really sad. I mean, I can understand why it didn't do that well, because it was, I mean, even for the 80s, that, this shit was out there. I mean, this is still out there in today's climate for me. I've seen a lot of weird shit, but this takes a cake as of right now. This is probably one of the weirdest things I've seen. Yeah. And because the fact that it's not all black and white in this movie, it's not all explained. You kind of have to use your imagination to figure out what's real, what's not, and put it together yourself. And God bless you for fucking explaining it the way you did. Cause that was perfect. I, I, I did the best I could, with what did, I had did a great job. Great job. Um, so let's go. If, unless you have anything else you wanted to say besides of how wacky that movie was. Now that movie was real wild. All right. So I, I compiled some, uh, some trivia here so if you want to you can there's not too much but that's the trivia yeah. i got so go ahead um there were three different endings filmed the ending in the film that they used was the one that was james wood's idea <laughs> you read that so weird yeah, why, I know. why are you adding different words okay. i'm reading how i want to <laughs> go ahead you weirdo david cronenberg had to double James Woods for the scene in which Max Wren has a helmet put on his head because Woods was afraid that he might be electrocuted by said helmet. Oh, right. That's fair. That you thing sounds, was massive. You sound so bored reading this. Should I let you compile? Should no, I let you do I'm your trivia? Reading. I'm reading. Okay, you just sound so bored. You already read that one. We already know that oh, one. Oh, yeah. She okay. dyed her hair red. During okay. filming of the cathode ray mission sequence the film's or jock brandis walked in and casually informed the crew that his power uh, the power lines to the building were smoking <laughs> because of the load on imposed on them by the tv sets yeah there's like dozens of tvs in that room yeah and then not to mention the helmet that's like glowing red and shit so that's cool yeah andy warhol called it uh the clockwork orange of the 80s wow I haven't seen Clockwork Orange. I've seen part of it, and I know too much about it's it. Ra it's really, it's really rapey, right? Isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, see, that's why I can't watch it like that. I just can't I mean, do it. I can't do it. And consider the fact that uh, there's a scene 
with an extremely extended there's an extremely extended like weird time lapse sex scene in that film and in the book those girls are not only underage but he pretty much convinces them that they don't have a choice to have sex with him Mm. and they're like whoa and i think that's probably why malcolm mcdowell uh doesn't like that that's the one role everybody remembers him most abruptly for (laughs) um Oh yeah, because he uh, he plays uh, Loomis in Rob Zombie's Halloween uh, remake. He's so. in so many things, and everyone's like Clockwork Orange, Clockwork Orange. He's like, I did other films. I did. Uh, I, I did so many other films. Yeah, he did a lot of other things. So, uh, all right, and included among the one thousand and one movies you must see before you die, edited by Steven Schneider. Schneider, I agree with that because yeah, like I said, if you're into horror and you're into weird stuff, boy, do I have the movie for you. I could Video make a list drone. of movies I think you need to see before you die, but it'd probably be like a hundred. So, ooh, 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 episode a hundred! Oh my god, that's the idea. That's Way to the say I- it on the air. Spoilers. I'm just saying that's okay. Well, that's a contender for the idea. That's a that's a really good idea, though. I like that. I did it. I'm like really that. good at this. Wow. Okay. All right. So that again, that is Videodrome from 1983. Uh, check it out. I had to rent it. Not not mad that I had to rent it. I would rent that again, honestly. Just a heads up. There's a sentence I'm going to cut you off to read. Just That's fine. Go ahead. All right. So let's get on to the second movie here, and that is Scanners. The movie I meant to watch. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's not what I'm going to interrupt you for. Oh, so two things now. Yeah. Son of a bitch. All right. So Scanners, uh, rated R, runtime, hour 43, released on January 14th, 1981, also listed as a horror sci-fi thriller. I had to scroll back up to make sure it was the same. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Obviously, Cronenberg is the director. He, he also, also did The Fly. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Just a heads up. So dumb. Okay. All right. This is starring a woman named Jennifer O'Neill, Kim Obrist, which is... Uh, so, I went by... Yeah, no, just... I know. It gets it gets wild. Okay? The way you wrote that out... I, I have to tweak it. All right. It's funny because... Jennifer O'Neill doesn't show up to like 47 or 37 minutes into the movie, but she's top build. So when I tell you who it's starring, I'm going by top build four, maybe five. If you know, if there's a lot of people in the movie. So Jennifer O'Neill, Kim Obrist. What? I just want to say for the record, the, I did not care about her character. The only thing I did yeah. care about is that her scarf was wrapped around her turtleneck oh, in so, such a stupid way oh, God, it looks like she's wearing a neck brace the whole film and i'm like what's wrong with her fucking oh that's it's, a scarf it's maddening because she has that she has the turtleneck that's the size of like fucking it's super the super the wide building. 80s turtleneck and God, then she's I, got a full scarf wrapped multiple times around it i mean nice scarf but uh, it looks like she's wearing a neck brace maddening. and she never takes that off you're like in the midst of all this you want a choking hazard i just want to be extremely hot or in my in my neck area such a dumb outfit. So she plays Kim Obris in this movie. You might know her from Summer of 42 as Dorothy or Rio Lobo as Shasta Delaney. Oh, now I can <laughs> read that. Okay. <laughs> uh, this also stars a man named Stephen Lack. He plays Cameron Vale. He only has 11 credits, and the only one that stands out to me is Dead Ringers because Cronenberg was either in that or directed that as well, and he played Anders Wolleck in that. Fun fact, the, I think the reason he stopped Making movies is because uh, of, of some trivia that I will tell you later on down the list. Oh, all right. <laughs> Patrick McGuhan's also in this, and he plays Dr. Paul Ruth. Uh, he was in Escape from Alcatraz as Warden and Braveheart as Longshanks King Edward I. The trouble with Scotland is that there are too many Scots. Wow. 
Yeah, that's right. I can quote him from that film. I'm sure you can. <laughs> All right. Anyways, moving on. A few more people here. Lawrence Dane. He played Braden Keller. He was Lieutenant Preston in The Bride of Chucky and Dr. Alfred Hathaway in Darkman 2. We've got Michael Ironside as Daryl Revick. He was Gene Razaskas in Starship Troopers and and Richard in Total Recall. He also has 269 other fucking credits, so I I was not going to go through all that. I go by the top four because that's the easiest. And last but not least, a man named Robert A. Silverman. He was Benjamin Price. He was Dieter Perez in Jason X and Hans in Naked Lunch, which is another Cronenberg joint that we would probably talk about at some point. Because you blind bought that for me for Christmas, and I was like, ooh, Naked Lunch, don't know what this is. Ooh, Cronenberg. Ooh, piece of candy. Someone so else ready. said they liked it one time, and I've never forgotten that film name. It's got a 3.7, and man. Then I'm I writing. saw, And I was like, oh, it's Cronenberg. And I was like, oh, shit, I know who likes Cronenberg. This guy. Even though, even though I haven't seen much, but I've loved everything I've seen. All right, so this the uh, the budget for this was $4.1 million Canadian, uh, whatever that is, I think. I'm going like, to do a thing. I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean... This is also like, you know, 40 years ago almost. Actually, exactly 40 years ago because it's, yeah, 81. Jesus, that, oh, God. What? That just feels like a long way away. It is a long way away. Uh, and then it grossed about $14.2 million. Uh, it doesn't That doesn't say Canadian, just worldwide. And uh, movies that came around, around the same time, Altered States. And that's about it. There was not much that came out around this time for movies in 1981. Uh, and last but not least, before we move on to the review, is their uh, body count is at least 15, and most of them are Ironside. I'm pretty sure Cam kills a few people, but I can't exactly be sure. But, like, it's definitely over 15. There's a lot of bodies dropping in this movie and gooshing and doing a lot of wild things. So, um, 4.1 in Canadian monies um, today is about 3.2. Oh, so it's less. US. Okay, there you go. So, boom. All right, so let's let's get onto this shit. So the uh, this the simple plot description here is there are people in this world called scanners, and they have this weird ability to be able to like read your mind. But if two scanners are in the same room, they try like reading their minds, like their head gooshes. It's really weird. So there's this whole secret society of them that can't be found. But the leader, fucking Daryl Revick, shows up and tries to fuck shit up. So I'm just gonna get in my review. It's 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 so wild. Yeah. I, it's I can't, a, it's a little confusing. There were points where you and I were like, um, what? 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 So who's this? They're on what side now? There were so many people who would just show up, do something. And you're like, were they okay. good guys or bad guys? What side are we on right now? I want to start by saying that this had an, a very uh, had a very aggressive intro soundtrack. Very, very just sudden and fast. And I was going to say hard, but that was going in the wrong direction. Anyways. Wow. So uh, we see this man who we will later find out is Cam. I'm His name's Cameron. I'm calling him Cam. And uh, he's walking in the food court and steals a cigarette and steals food off tables. Just kind of walking around being a weirdo. Like, like a classy bitch. Does that. And he sits down. These two ladies are kind of like eyeballing him, watching him eat the food off, like the leftover food off trays. And he stares at one of them. And for no reason, she starts to freak the fuck out, which you know now. She's a scanner, which you think about that now because she started freaking out. No one else does that in the same room unless they're scanners. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At least I think. Well, I thought she was freaking out because um, she because they could 
get into other people's minds. It was just scanners automatically. They both freak out. But like, mm. I thought it was because he could hear her saying rude and nasty things about him. So he like started to get upset that she was like, like, lady, I'm right here. But she also started. So she, so when they look at, he looks at her, she just starts to freak out and like fall out of her chair, calm, almost like having a seizure. And he kind of like holds his head as well. And this is like first two seconds of the movie. Right after that, um, he, like I said, he seems to be in pain and disoriented. Two men in trench coats see this go down and start chasing Cameron. Uh, one man shoots him with the tranquilizer, but he doesn't go down at first. And then eventually it kicks in and the two men grab him. And then he wakes up in a hospital bed where he's approached by a man, Dr. Paul Ruth, who tells Cameron that he is a scanner. And like I said, scanners are these weird people who can read people's minds. So They're that's, telepaths, that's really. the first five minutes of this movie. Right. And then you cut to a little bit later where a man is talking to an audience and he wants to perform a scanning on them. And a man from the audience who we now know is Daryl after watching the movie, uh, he raises his hand to come up. And this does not go very well for the man. I don't even know his name because he was literally in five minutes of this movie. It doesn't go very well for him because he tries to scan Daryl, who is a scanner, and they're trying to scan each other. And then my favorite part of the movie is the the head goosh is what I'm going to call it. Uh, the guy that's trying to perform the scan on Daryl, his head literally explodes in the most glorious fashion I've ever seen. And I've seen this part of the movie before, you know, like on Facebook, someone will post like crazy gory moments. And I, I'm kind of shocked. That this is th why I tried to watch the movie. Well, and this is why I'm kind of shocked that the head goosh was this like, like, you know, 10 minutes into the movie. Maybe I was kind of thinking that would be like way down the line, but it wasn't. Uh, so that happens. And everyone starts panicking, and then two more guys go pick up Daryl. They put him in the car, and we come to find out, because you don't really, at this point, you don't know what's going on. And you, to me, I'm watching this in the moment, I'm like, okay, he must have telekinetic powers because he's making the guys in the car do stuff without doing anything. Like, there's two cars, and he makes a car in front of his car go off to the side, and it explodes, and then they die, and then he makes the guy with the gun shoot people, and you're just like, what, 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 what? what? I was just waiting until you were done. Just go, just go. I was saying, no, that actually clarifies that because scanners can do things to other people. Well, yeah. But since he didn't know he was a scanner, that's probably why he caused her to have a seizure, because he didn't know what he was doing. I mean, maybe. So, that's, that's all I was going to say is, yes, oh. we thinking about that yes they could do stuff to other people yeah because daryl's you know Daryl's just real good at he's it. he's very well because when cameron woke up and he was told he was a scanner he didn't know what that was so he didn't even know he was one of these things exactly yeah. so he's untrained he doesn't know how to use it it's almost like the force in a sense you're like you know i have this but i don't know i have it until hey by the way you have this power so we need to harness it and Daryl, as we can tell, is obviously very, very well versed in his whole scanning thing because he's literally making people do things against their will. And in like the first when that car scene, when he's in, when they're taking him to wherever they're taking him, he kills, I think, five people in the matter of a few minutes just by using his using his mind. And then he gets out of the car with the last survivor that was shooting all the other guys. And then he makes him put the gun to his head and he blows his brains out. And you're like. Oh my god! At this point in the movie, I'm just extremely lost because I have no idea what's going on. There's no context, no idea what's happening. So, the next day, we see a board of directors at this place called Consec. Uh, that's where Daryl blew up that guy's head because that, that's where I guess it's a I can't remember what it exactly is, but it's like it's uh, like a um, securities company. Yeah. So, uh, board of directors they want to shut down the scanners program that they have, 
because apparently all the scanners, like Consac had all these scanners that have been- 236. Something like that. They That have been lost to this underground organization led by Daryl. So they want to just cut that program off because of what happened. And uh, Dr. Ruth at this point wants uh, to infiltrate Daryl's organization to kind of regain control because you have all these rogue scanners out there that they don't even know about. And then you have Daryl who's literally going and <laughs> murdering all these people for no reason. So his plan is to like train Cameron and to go after Revic to kill Revic and then hopefully, you know, get the underground civilization of these scanners kind of back on their side in a sense. Um, so Cam's first uh, mission or task or whatever you want to call it is to go talk to this guy named Pierce because he has thought to have a link to Daryl's organization and he tracks him down to his art studio. But then he gets then Pierce and they're in like his giant head that Pierce has made because he's an artist. So they're in this giant head talking and uh, Pierce leaves, but then he gets ambushed by four scanners, which is weird because the scanners were using guns to try and kill Pierce. But like, couldn't they have just used their brains to kill Pierce? Okay, well, also recall at the time we were like, isn't he part of the underground movement, but they're trying to kill him, but why would they kill him if they're all on the same side? So what's going on? And also, maybe those weren't scanners. Maybe those were just like Daryl's minions. I mean, Not I a don't, fucking clue. I don't know. There was a lot of henchmen running around and no clarification as to who they were working yeah, for. I, I, and if they were, I'm sorry, we definitely missed that. So Cameron stays in the head while Pierce is getting gooshed, and he somehow manages to... I swear to God, he killed all four of them. But when I was reading the synopsis on IMDb, it says he kills two because two of them show back up later in the movie. But it looks like he kills all four. I guess he doesn't. I don't know. Uh, and then he goes to Pierce. And with, with Pierce's dying words, because he got shot a lot, he, he mentions someone named Kim Obrist. Enter the highest paid celebrity in this fucking movie. He manages to track her down. And uh, do, do, do. Oh, shit. Kim, where did I go? He met Kim Obris. Oh, yeah, he met Kim Obris, and then only to be tracked down later in that in the place where he found her by two people from earlier at the art studio, and everyone fucking dies except for Kim and Cameron because she manages to set the two assassins, like, on fire. You know, so like they... Like you do. Like you do. So she sets them on fire, and then they, they're, you know, they get in the, they go downstairs, they get in this van, they escape, except for the fact that they don't escape because then more scanners, more henchmen show up in this like armored black van that like, takes some guns, just plow this van down and kill everyone inside except for Cam and Kim again, because fuck those guys, because they badass. And then this is, this is where really the plot lost me because it just cuts to Cam in this building and it's called the biocarbon algamate building where Daryl is, is op he's like an operating manager. He's running the place. I don't know, but he manages to find this program called ripe, which is only limited is limited to concept terminals only. So I thought concept and biocarbon algamate were different things, but I guess they're working together. I don't fucking know. This is where it gets so weird. I, I totally lost the, the plot of this movie at this I, point. I only found it towards the end when they in fact explained what was going yeah, on. Yeah. So anyways, that whole thing confused me. And then Cam eventually calls Dr. Ruth later to tell him that he's going to bring in an informant from Daryl's operation, which we find out is Kim, but it's not Kim because there's a guy that's like interviewing her, which is Keller. He's like, I know you're not from his operation. And then, and that's, and then I'm just like, I'm, t I'm done taking notes. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Like the whole ending just kind of completely lost me. 
I don't know about you. I got it. Oh, you got it? Do you want me to explain it? I want to explain everything except the final scene between oh, yeah. no, between no, um, Cameron and, uh, and Revic. So all that stuff up to that point. So Cameron says he's going to bring in one of, um, what's his face's? Revic. <laughs> yeah, Revix. Daryl Revic. Um, no, Daryl, that's the one word I wanted. Uh, Sorry, Cameron Darryl. says he's going to bring in one of Daryl's people so they can try to like get information. She wants to come in and she's like, ah, I don't really know about that. Like they may, we don't know that that's safe, but what they sort out, what Cameron figures out is that there is a drug that makes it possible for oh, scanners. FMF or all or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That makes it possible um, <sighs> to help scanners like control their abilities. And, um, so what they want to do, it, but it's supposed to have no effect on regular people. So he finds out who's producing it. He finds out the manufacturer of it is actually coming through the company he's working for. And there is a guy on the inside who is working with Daryl the whole time to help produce that. He also finds out that um, they... You oh you don't mean to explain the end scene with that no because um, that end scene was a fucking amazing and b there's like three plot twists that kind yeah, of just so happened. we won't get like, into that <laughs> like, what the but fuck? so he finds out that there's been like there has been a mole the whole time so that That's right, guy okay. when he's interrogating um the woman he says like oh I know you're not really with him because he's the fucking mole and well you just gave that away. Well, they, they repeatedly show that he's the mole because he keeps meeting with Daryl. Oh, yeah, that's true. I was going to say, that's not a giveaway. Which is Keller, and, by the way. Um, yeah. And he, like, tries to kill her so, because he knows she's really not um, trying to turn herself in because she has nothing to do with it. And yeah. that it's all a trick to get back there to figure out um, who the mole is. Yeah. See, the problem I had was the fact that it doesn't even show how Cam is able to infiltrate it. It literally just shows like the one, it just cuts to a scene of Cam in that white suit looking around this place. And I couldn't understand how, why, who, and then there's a lot of back and forth. Like you're the traitor. It was like that Spider-Man meme where they're all pointing at each other. And I'm like, who the fuck is what? I don't understand. Yeah, that's funny. Like, oh my God. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that's where we'll leave it because you find out who the traitor is. Someone important dies. Tensions get really high. There's like three twists and then there's a fucking wild, wild conclusion to that movie. I mean, yes, that was holy really, cow. and that took <laughs> like, us a second. That ending, we're like, wait, what? Yeah. Eh? What? Yeah. The ending is wild. And, uh, I just, I don't know. It's just these, these, this is a good, this, I think this is a good pairing to do because they're both very, um, they're mind fucky. I was gonna say they're both kind of mind fucky. They don't really make a they don't really make a lot of sense, but then they do at the end of the movie. But you know, there's still parts in in both movies, you know, sections of the movie where I'm like, I'm not sure what exactly is going on here. I can tell you that I love them. They're great, great fucking movies. But yeah, a uh, bit confused on a lot of these. But Scanners was a wild ride. I I will say though, the acting was a little kind of um, wooden. Yeah. It Except was, for Daryl. I was going to say, Revic was great, but yeah, fucking, um, hold on. The man who played Cameron, Stephen Lack, he was kind of just flat, not very, not very expressive, not what I want out of an actor. So, and you know, he is pretty much the main, I know they say, you know, Kim Ober or Jennifer O'Neill is top build, but re really it's focusing mainly around Stephen and Revic. She didn't have, I'm sorry, but she didn't have much of a personality. She mostly had like big doe eyes yeah. and a horrible sweater. 
Yeah, and a horrible sweater. She really didn't have a lot going on for her character. Like, really, I wanted more screen time with uh, Daryl Revick because, you know, Michael Ironside, he's a compelling actor. He's He's interesting. You want to listen to him when he talks. And everyone else, I was kind of like, yeah, it's kind I don't of, really care about uh, you guys. Yeah. Can we have more Daryl? Because he seems like a more interesting character. These people are like flying around. They're pretty much m- half the other characters are going, I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to keep moving forward. I don't know. I like, I don't know what's happening. I guess I'll figure it out. And he's like, I've got a plan. I know what's going on. I've got things going on. You're like, I, he, he was interesting. Yeah, I, I, and that's why I, I wanted to give this more, but the acting kind of held back my rating. I still gave it a great rating. He but couldn't carry the movie on his back. Exactly, because, yeah, a lot of the other actors were just ki- kind of stale. They didn't seem like they were fully into it, whereas Videodrome, everyone was fucking just wacky and having a great time, it seemed, at least in that movie. Um, so, yeah, uh, a wild movie, and, uh, like, it sucks, be- and I also didn't give it more too because the fact that the first, like my favorite horror moment out of that movie was the head goosh, but it happens so quick in the movie, and then no one else's head explodes, and I, it's literally the title card talks about that too. It says, 10 seconds, the pain begins. Fifteen seconds, you can't breathe. Twenty seconds, you explode. I, f- I fucking saw one person actually explode. It's upset. I wanted to see more head gooshing. That was actually supposed to be um, at the beginning of the film, but uh, the director decided to push that back because of the um, because of late comers to movies. It was like ten minutes in, though. I kn- no, it was like fifteen in. Okay, but I'm... he pushed it further back so that way it wouldn't, um, so people wouldn't miss the scene. Yeah. Oh, and apparently there's two hundred thirty seven scanners. Well, Two- there's two hundred thirty six in the program plus, plus cam, one plus cam. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of my only gripes. Really, my only gripes about this movie is that some of the acting was pretty flat. And then, yeah, like I said, I wanted to see more head gooshing. Uh, I, I I understand though. I'm sure that was probably the most expensive. Actually, you know, the ending scene might have even been more expensive because that was unreal as well. But I wanted more heads exploding. You know, you gave me that one so early, and then never one again. And I was kind of upset. It's kind of sad. I yeah, want to I want to see happens. more heads get exploded. All right, so. Let's go to some trivia here. I got some pretty interesting things, I think at least. Uh, first up is David Cronenberg once called this the most frustrating film he's ever made. The film was rushed through production. Filming had to begin without a finished script and end with roughly two months. Oh, and end within roughly two months. So financing would qualify it as a tax write-off, forcing Cronenberg to write and shoot at the same time. Cronenberg also cited difficulty with and antagonism between the leads. Oh, particularly Patrick McGuhan and Jennifer O'Neill. So I guess they were not fun to work with each other. McGuhan's a silly name. McGuhan. Something that you mentioned while we were watching this movie, William S. Burroughs' 1959 novel Naked Lunch contains a chapter concerning... Concerning? Yeah. Concerning... Oh, about senders, a hostile organization of telepaths bent on world domination, a clear literary inspiration for this film uh which is funny because cronenberg would later go to direct a film version of naked lunch in 1991 who's so. got the guy that i confused with james woods um in videodrome there you go this is probably my favorite piece of trivia because i love darren lynn bowsman 
Uh, in, 2000, in February 2007, Darren Lynn Bowsman was announced as director of a remake of this film to be released by the Weinstein or Weinstein Company and Dimension Films. David S. Goyer was assigned to script the film. The film was planned for an October 17, 2008 release, but the date came and went without any further announcements, and all parties involved have since moved on to other projects. In an interview with Bowsman in 2013, he recalled that he would not make the film without David Cronenberg's blessing, which was not granted. So, I'm well, glad that know. I'm glad that didn't happen. Uh, let's see, and here we go. So, the reason I think that Stephen Lack stopped it stopped it stopped acting because he only has 11 credits. Uh, he is now a sex a successful and prolific. He's, he's a sexful. He's a successful and prolific painter. So he probably started making more money. Uh, oh, are you looking at his paintings? That these are his paintings. Let me see. Check these out. They're interesting. I mean, yeah, those are cool. I'd have to, I'd have to give them a real long look at. Hey, I mean, if you can make it doing painting, maybe you'll make more money. And uh, like I said earlier, wouldn't that be nice? Top bill Jennifer O'Neill does not appear until the thirty-seven minute mark, so she's only in an hour of the movie. So it's kind of funny how you can be top billed, but only be in about you know, you know half the movie. So um, now Scanners actually was, I do believe, let me double check here. I believe this was streaming on, yeah, so this is streaming on HBO Max or just HBO in general. Um, so you can check that out. I should probably go tell you what the, uh, oh, by the way, there's actually two other Scanners as well. Uh, scanners 2, The New Order, and Scanners 3, The Takeover, which probably aren't near as good. Just going to go ahead. Probably not. Just going to go ahead and throw that out there. Uh, let me give you some ratings here real quick. Videodrome is a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. Scanners coming in right behind that at a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb. Let me head over here to Letterboxd so I can give you their ratings. I know they were really high because, I mean, I mean they're just so good. So Videodrome on Letterboxd at 3.8 out of 5. And Scanners was a 3.5 out of 5. I originally gave... So I originally gave Videodrome a four, but I'm going to bump that up to a four and a half because I feel like this is Cronenberg's, as of right now, uh, like, you know, every director has like their masterpiece. You can, I mean, unless you're Flanagan, I mean, everything he touches is gold. And I mean, everything, there's been a couple directors in time where like you, everything they touch is just fucking gold. But um, I have to give Videodrome a four and a half because it's stuck with me. I've, I have not stopped like thinking about that movie for days. Um, scanners would have gotten a four and a half as well, but like I said, I doled it back a half a star because of the acting and because I wanted more head gooshing. So I gave scanners a four. Did you rate them or what would you have rated them? I would have given them both threes. Threes? Threes. What? Oh, man. I didn't dislike the films, but for me. Not for you? Not for me. Oh, this was like gold for me. I lived for every second of these movies. It's funny because I can recall a time where I hated 80s movies with a passion, and now I'm like, but where are all the other 80s movies? I need to see all of them. All right, so that's the trivia for that. All right, so like I said, Scanners is streaming on HBO. Go go check that out. Videodrome, you will have to rent. I think it's like three bucks on Amazon. So I had fun with that. I thought that was a really good, really good episode, or really good, like, you know, topic. Yeah. I like Cronenberg. We will have to do this again. All right, so let's move on to this new trivia game. It is literally titled Horror Trivia, a trivia game in of twisted terror. We're not playing by the rules. We are just reading some trivia. So I think you won. Oh, excuse me. I did. I Broccoli won the bird. whole trivia on the last one. So there's only two, since there's only two sections here, we're just reading the top question. Boom. First, oh, wow. First to three. It's super easy. No rolling. Okay, go, go. We'll pick one up. 
I think we're going to go to five because these are... You just said three. Well, me, me and Corey went Fine, to five. Fine, whatever. All just right. go. All right. So Vincent Price starred in this 1959 ghostly classic and invited five people to survive the night. The haunting... Uh, the, the haunting? The haunting? The haunting of Hill House? I mean... Similar, same words, but worded differently. I don't know. House on Haunted Hill. Damn it. I know. There's so many hills and houses and hauntings. I like, knew what I, it was. I, I, I just couldn't have the right words in my head. I can't keep up with it. I had the right words. I just have the right damn order. There you go. Okay. What room number, also the title of the movie, is a paranormal hotspot in this 2007 film starring John 1408. Cusack? 1408. What? Yay! How did you do that? 1408. Shocking. Yay. I love that movie. It's a great yeah, one. Yeah, me too. I saw that with Dad in theaters. All right. What type of animal terrorizes Jennifer Connelly and Dario, Dario Argento's phenomena? Okay, this is an animal with an object. So if you just give me the animal, I'll give you. I'll give you full credit here. That's not an animal. Wolf. Chimpanzee with a straight razor. Boom. Damn it! What the fuck is that movie? Oh, it's on my list to watch. I love Argento movies. Oh, okay. Have, that's one of the ones I have not seen. What hangs above Tina's bed in A Nightmare on Elm Street? This is some bullshit. What hangs above her bed? Uh, fan. I don't know. It's a crucifix. Right? I don't fucking know. I'm thinking on the, ce- on the ceiling. Hey, you should get this one. Oh, God, I want to. No, seriously, you should get this one. Which actress plays a psychotherapist who enters the mind of a comatose serial killer in the 2000 film The Cell? Jennifer Lopez! Oh, my God, stop yelling at me. I really like that director. I like that movie. One to one. Let's go. What was the name of Herschel Gordon Lewis's debut film? Ooh. I've never heard of this. It's not Reanimator. That's true. Um, I should know this. I really should. I, d- I don't know, though. I don't know. Living Venus. Nope, never would have got that. I should know, but Ditto. I Ditto. What are we, one-to-one? But shan't. Yes. Machines come to life and become homicidal after a comet causes a radiation storm in this 1986 film starring Emilio Estevez. Oh, nice. What? <laughs> like, these questions are good. Like I don't know. Maximum overdrive. That's what that's about? Wow. Apparently so. What 1990 film featuring Lou Diamond Phillips has his character trying to... Bring the pentagram killer to justice. I've never heard of this. Pentagram killer to justice? Yeah, you know, the pentagram killer. That's, um, uh, that's fucking, uh, uh, the Night Stalker, right? Pentagram killer. What's the movie called? Night Stalker. The Night Stalker? The First Power. Okay. Well, here's We're a, doing so good at here, this. Yeah, here's a fucking home run for you, because we've already talked about this fucking movie. In 2007, Rob Zombie directed what remake about a young Michael Myers? Halloween. Fucking. Wow, the Michael Myers is a little heavy-handed. Yeah, they could have just said remake of Rob Zombie. So that's what, you. two to one? Are we going to five, you said? Yeah, we might as well. And these are these are usually pretty quick. They, they read quick. It's not like the other ones that are so like worded. <laughs> what? What? Who directed the original 1978 version of Halloween? John Carpenter. Yeah. <laughs> Two to two. Boom. All right. So this one I would know, but I don't know if you'll know this. Which, I don't know why it says original. 
Um, there's only been one remake. Oh my god! Which original Friday the Thirteenth film did Jason get his hockey mask? Three. Holy shit! Wow. You okay. made me watch them. I remember. Oh, that's true. Wow, I made you like it's some sort of fucking chore. Who is considered to be Hollywood's first scream queen? Jamie Lee. Yeah. Wow. Three to three. Okay. See, see, this one has to play at five. Uh, but here's 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 your fucking fourth one right now. All work and no play make Jack a dull boy. What's the movie? The Shining. Jesus Christ. Four to three. Fucking God almighty. Swear. What 2005 movie directed by John Gulliger was the first horror film winner for Project Greenlight? What? Let me know if you you absorbed any of that question. Say that again. What 2005 movie directed by John Gulliger was the first horror film winner for Project Greenlight? 2005. It sounds like a, a questions in code. I don't even know the name. I don't know the name of that director. I mean, 2005. Good old John Gulliger. Fucking John Gulliger. Gulliger. Gulager. Who are you? I don't know how to say his name. I have no idea. I don't know. I got nothing. I got absolutely nothing. I haven't even been able to use Helen Hunt this, this Feast. episode. Okay, I know the movie. Only makes one of us. All right, well, I'm pretty sure you're going to saw This is another softball, which is bullshit, because this is three in a row for you. Uh, good Ash, Bad Ash, I'm the guy with the gun. Name the movie. Army of Darkness. Fuck you. Fuck Was that five? Yeah. I win. I win again. I am the wiener. See, if you always start first, then you always have the opportunity to win first if we're tied. Unless I'm dumb. Are you just going to suddenly become stupid? I got questions wrong. You were ahead of me at first. (sighs) One day I'll win again. (laughs) One day. Doubt it. Doubt it. All right. So you doubt it too. That's nice. We're right on track with episode time now. We're not going to go. We're not going to go two and a half hours like me. I thought it was like three hours. I'm like, geez. I don't understand. Okay. I don't understand how we can talk about four Saw movies and go for two hours and 43 minutes. We talk about two and we go for two hours and a half. Picture this. I'm not on that episode. I watched a two hour long movie and then I got a quarter of the way through Gone with the Wind, which is a four hour film. And I was like, how am I? How am I? Mo- how am I, I all know. the way through the war? How did I make it all the way through? I'm like, I think I'll watch the first 10 minutes or something. And I'm like, <laughs> like, oh, no, we've made it to intermission. Yeah. So we're going to speed through the next, you know, whenever we do part three, when we do uh, final chapter and Jigsaw, we've got to speed through that because I don't I specifically cut it down to two movies because I was like, if we do four, it's going to be like a three episode. Can't Learned do that. Paraphrase. It's Saw, and it's me and Spencer, so it, oh, God, broccoli burped are just the worst. Oh, my God. Okay. Anywho, I had fun. I hope you guys had fun, whoever's listening to this. I thought you meant me. Wow, apparently we don't care if I had fun. I was getting there, lady, and I hope my wife slash other host had fun at this, because you described video. I'm so, I'm so glad you did so good. So much better than I did with scanners. It's a good thing I watched it twice. Ten years apart, if, so I e- could retain all that. Even if it was ten years apart, my fucking god! All right, so next week, me and Corey will be back for the 80th episode celebration or something. Uh, we're gonna be going super deep dive or super deep cut into 80s movies, just like what we did with episode 70. We did 70s movies. We're doing episode 80 with 80s movies, and if you couldn't guess, we're gonna go nine. Stop! Stop it! We're gonna go. 
do 90s. Oh, my God. We're going to do 90s movies on episode 90, and that's with you. Yay! We're going, we're going deep dive. Dibs di- on picking the movies. Not both. Yeah. You got to go deep cut 90s. That was really creepy to listen to. So tune in next week. We're going to watch Stab. And until that's not a real movie. I mean, yeah. What? What? Anyways, Uh, until next week. Yes. Stay tuned. Uh Uh-huh. And stay spooky. Where? I'm leaving. Goodbye, everybody. 